welcome back. This is Faye. And this is Nick. And this is... Priyag's Over Over Coffee. Coffee. So this is going to be really one of our espresso episodes, meaning one of our short, sweet, but still has tons of content, just for that quick review when you don't have even 10 minutes. So for today, we're going to talk about postpartum hemorrhage. And specifically the medical management of postpartum hemorrhage. Today, we'd like to talk about identifying postpartum hemorrhage or just the definition of what it is, using the appropriate agents and maneuvers to try and stop your postpartum hemorrhage, and also knowing the mechanism of each agent that we use. So, Nick, what is postpartum hemorrhage? So this kind of changed while we've been in residency, Faye. Yeah. You know, when we came in, the definition was 500 cc's of blood loss after a vaginal delivery, 1,000 cc's of blood loss after a cesarean delivery. But now they actually say that 1,000 cc's of blood loss after any kind of delivery, regardless vaginal or cesarean delivery, is the definition of postpartum hemorrhage. Alternatively, blood loss accompanied by signs or symptoms of hypovolemia. Anytime you think that someone is having uh, any kind of postpartum hemorrhage or you think that their vital signs are changing, you want to make sure that they have good resuscitation. So making sure they have two large bore IVs going through the AC, making sure that there's someone taking vitals, and making sure that they have fluids. But let's say, Nick, you know, you're walking your intern through their first postpartum hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. What's your first thing that you go to? 80% of the time, this is at me, right? So the first thing you got to do is bimanual massage. One hand on the cervix, the other hand on the fundus, and squeeze. Make sure that your patient has adequate anesthesia before you do this, or else you will get kicked in the face. You sound like you're talking from experience, Nick. Yeah, just (laughs) once or twice. (laughs) The next agent we're pretty much all familiar with is Pitocin, Pitocin, Pitocin. The thing that I think I always forget is exactly the doses, right? IV versus IM. If they don't have an IV or someone's frantically trying to get an IV in, they're hemorrhaging, I, you, you can just call for 10 units in the thigh. But if they do have an IV, then usually it's between 60 to 200 milliunits per minute through the IV. And you'll usually have 10 to 40 units mixed into one liter of IV fluid, depending on your institution. Hey, how exactly does PIT work? This is something that I had to go and look up because I didn't know. So Pitocin is just oxytocin, so it binds to the receptors on your uterine smooth muscle, and it, smooth muscles, it increases the intracellular calcium, and that leads to smooth muscle contraction of the uterus. The -hmm. one side effect we do have to watch out for is that it's very similar to ADH or vasopressin in structure, and so in large doses, it can also have some antidiuretic effects. What's your next go-to agent, Nick? I think most of the time, I probably ask for methogen or methyl ergonavine. Yeah. Methogen is given as a 0.2 milligram intramuscular injection. You can give it up to every two to four hours. Really, it works pretty well, I'd say. The thing to watch out for is that in your patients who have hypertension, preeclampsia, that spectrum of disease, you can cause further hypertension. Why does it cause that side effect? Um, it has like a lot of partial agonist antagonistic effects on a multitude of different receptors. So serotonergic, dopaminergic, alpha-antonergic receptors. But the bottom line is that by acting on these receptors, you're going to cause contraction of uterine smooth muscle and other smooth muscle like in blood vessels. Mm. And that's where you get that hypertension from. 
That makes a lot more sense. Next, I go for Hemabate or Carboprost, and that is an agent that you can give 0.25 milligrams intramuscular every 20 minutes for a maximum of eight doses. This leads to also smooth muscle contraction, and mostly you'll see a lot of side effects on the GI tract, so things like vomiting, diarrhea, and because it is also a prostaglandin, it can lead to bronchoconstriction, and it can induce edema formation and activate leukocytes. So that would be bad in someone who already has asthma if you're causing bronchoconstriction on all of those things. And the way that it works is that it acts as prostaglandin F2-alpha, so it binds to you remember back to medical school, those G-protein coupled receptors yes. <laughs> on the smooth muscle cells, and that's what causes that contraction. The nurses always make sure that we have like some Imodium or Loperamide handy whenever we give some hemabate because the diarrhea can be really bad, exactly. but definitely avoid an asthma. One of the things that's fallen out of favor, at least in our hospital, I think, but still has a place is uh, mesoprostol. The traditional teaching here in the United States is to give 1,000 micrograms of mesoprostol rectally, um, though there are places in other parts of the world that give sublingual or oral formulations of mesoprostol. Problem with giving them sublingually or orally, though, is that it really causes those side effects. Fevers, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach cramps. And so the rectal administration, basically, you don't get as much of that. Yeah. It works by binding to prostanoid receptors on the uterus and then causing uterine contractions in that fashion. So a little bit different than the other ones, but still the, same, the effect in the end is the same. And the last agent that I normally give, and actually I only learned about during residency because I think it just came into favor like a year ago, is mm -hmm. tranexamic acid. And I'm going to let Nick talk about this because of his love of critical care. I'm not going to take that away from you, Nick. <laughs> no, well, that's too kind of you, Faye. So tranexamic acids, um, the woman trial in 2017 in the Lancet demonstrated that early administration of tranexamic acid decreased death from postpartum hemorrhage. And tranexamic acid has really, it's got an interesting history. It was developed by an obstetrician and then fell out of favor in obstetrics, but then was developed further in the military and used really from the military into trauma. And then we kind of have come back around to it based on those trauma studies. We can give one gram through an IV and redose in 30 minutes if there's continued life-threatening bleeding. The way that it works is that it's an anti-fibrinolytic. So you know, there are two things at the very end of the clotting cascade. You can either form clots or you can break those clots down. And those fibrin clots are broken down by plasmin the precursor is plasminogen, and that conversion of plasminogen to plasmin is where tranexamic acid works. It stops that conversion so your clots get stabilized as opposed to being broken down. Um, and really that spiraling out of control is where DIC comes from. So that's where it's thought that tranexamic acid really has the money application is in preventing DIC. One side effect to think about, it really is theoretical, it hasn't really been proven in the literature, is that again, because you are preventing these clots from breaking down, you could have a higher risk of something like venous thromboembolism. Things that we can't forget about, but we're not going to be talking that much about on this episode, is all the other things that are not necessarily medical management, but more like surgical management of postpartum hemorrhage. So things like Bakri, things like taking people back to the OR, like O'Leary stitches, and God forbid the scary cesarean hysterectomy, but we will definitely talk about those on a later episode. And this has been our very first espresso episode of Kriag's Over Coffee.
don't forget, don't turn your back on a bleeding uterus. like this episode or if you have any comments for us or any episodes that you'd like to see being done, you can email us at kriagsovercoffee at gmail.com. Don't forget to catch us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to give us a nice rating or some comments as you see fit. You can catch our website at kriagsovercoffee.com, Facebook at kriagsovercoffee, or Twitter at kriagsovercoffee, number one.